0: Is she moving because she needs one or good shape I'm trying not to doesn't want me to call her out she didn't want cameras here <laughs> uh, good deal she's got one back there all right well let's do this i got a couple announcements and we'll pray and we'll get started tonight uh, first uh, some announcements up here growth group announcements uh uh we will of course growth groups will not meet next sunday night uh tailgate sunday's next sunday the uh, 27th at 10:30 a.m and Please register online for that event, and so if you can take care of that, so uh, pastor can know everybody that's coming, and uh, know who's who's tailgate he wants to hit first. That's what he's trying to get to, I think. And <laughs> he knows who cooks. One thing you learn as a pastor, you know exactly who makes what. Everybody's got their specialty, and so whatever you're in the your mood for that morning, you know exactly where to go. Uh, next, that I think there'll be about five weeks. Pastor was saying between this last growth group of this cycle, and start up with the next growth groups, and then there's going to be five weeks of growth groups again. Now, this is a part one class, but uh, pastor is just making sure that you knew nude. You're not auto-re-registered for part two, so make sure you do that if you haven't or if you want to be back in here. It also gives you a chance to run like the wind. Yeah, he said, like, I don't want to ever sit under that guy again. So... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, pastor and I, I guess I, I'm assuming Pastor will do one of them I believe and I'll, I'll handle the rest and so uh, so again love to have you back and, and invite other folks and to join us and um, and uh, we'll, we'll see what God will do so let's do this open in prayer and let's ask God to help us tonight Father we sure do love you tonight thank you for the privilege to once again open the Word of God to, to teach and preach your Word and thank you for the dear people that came out on a beautiful Sunday uh, warm Sunday but Lord a beautiful day and. Uh, that chose to be in church tonight, Lord, and so I pray it would be profitable for them that, Lord, tonight we just glean something, some more uh, truths from your word that would help us to be, just to be solid, Lord, just to be founded and grounded on your word. Just have your will and way, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we've been flying through these and tonight will be no difference. We're actually going to cover two tonight in a way. I shortened both but the doctrine of sin, we started on that last week and then the doctrine of salvation. Uh, So there's no way I could ever cover both in in the detail that needs to be but we're going to do our best to at least give you the highlights of some of the critical parts I believe that you need to know. Last week if you remember we kind of ended on the fall of man. We saw man fall there in the garden and and we talked about the, the, that pattern It always seems to happen, how, how you know, Satan came and got them to question God's Word, half God really said, and then they got them to subtract from God's Word, and the next thing you know they're taking the Word freely out, and then they're adding to God's Word and saying, neither shall you touch it, and, and then they're softening it and took out the shout, you shall surely die, and starting to question that. Finally got them down to the point where they denied God's Word. And it's amazing how that happens over and over and over again. His attacks have never changed. He's always found it on the Word of God. And I told you, uh, the week I didn't teach when the pastor did bibliography, I feel like that's the most important one because that is, is this your authority or not? Do you stand on the Word of God or not? Is that what you rely on as your truth or not? And so... Because uh, that's what Satan always attacks. And so we saw man fall. And then we learned this, that because of that, we now are born with a sin nature. We inherit that sin nature. Romans 5.12 says, Whereas by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And, and we talked about man's not a sinner because he sins. Man sins because he's a sinner. Just like a dog does not bark because, uh, or I shouldn't say a dog isn't a dog because he barks. A dog barks because he is a dog. Well, tonight we're going to jump right in and look at the, the results of that sin and, and uh, who we were before we were saved. We're going to take a look at salvation and then what it entails and, and all that. So tonight we'll start with the doctrine of sin. And so lots of theological definitions I could give you on what sin is. Uh, I like to let God's Word, for the most part, just use words from it to help explain and, and define things. But sin, one theologian just said this way, anything that's offensive... Are contrary to God's laws. Anything that's offensive are contrary to God's laws. If you study the Bible, I think there's really two types of sin. Now, there's the one you're thinking of right off the bat that is the sins of commission. Sins of commission. The things we say, the things we think, the things we do that would displease God. I kind of like the kids' definition better, don't y'all? Uh, that seems to help. That's kind of what you always say to kids. Anything you think, anything you say, anything you do that would displease God. And so that, that's the sins of commission. That's the one you and I would think about normally. And, uh, and certainly the Bible's full of those calling that out. But there's also the sins of omission. Omission. And you say, what's that? What's anything we don't say or don't do that would displease God? Or they go against His commandments. You know, He's commanded us to do a lot of things, right? And when we don't do what He's asked us to do, uh, that becomes a sin of omission. And so, so two primary types that we look at of things that are offensive or contrary to God's law. So I like to look at other names too. We'll do this pretty quick, this section pretty quick, but let's look at a few of those other names I gave you on your handout, uh, talking about, again, the doctrine of sin. First one's the word sin, and words that come from? the comes from the Greek word, or, yeah, I think the H is always silent, but or whatever it is, and has to do with missing the mark. Missing the mark or the standard that God has. And I don't know about you, have you ever have you ever shot bow and arrow? You probably don't want to be anywhere on that side if I'm shooting that way. <laughs> I never got real good at the bow and arrow. I miss the mark every single time. And that's kind of what, if we're aiming for something and you're aiming at, at that mark and, and you spray it all over, that, that's kind of the idea. That's what sin is. We miss the mark of the standard that God has for us. And we understand this, Romans 6.23, Sunday uh, Sunday night crowd. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? Not only are we born with that sin nature, then we willfully choose to sin on top of that. And so, but there's a lot of other names in the New Testament in particular that uh, sort we're of focusing on for sin. How about the word disobedience? Uh, kind of has the same idea. Comes a word that means a failure to hear or to heed what God says. A failure to hear or heed. Remember we talked about the two types of sin? Sins of commission and sins of omission. See, when we fail to hear what he said or heed what he said, it's the same thing. Romans 5, 19 tells us, for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, talking about when Jesus comes, shall many be made righteous. And so disobedience. Another uh, words you'll find in the New Testament for sin is iniquity. Iniquity. How I many yeah in the Old Testament too. How many times have you read that one? And and uh, they're all related, but they're all slightly different. They're they're definitely all missing the mark, though. Iniquity means lawlessness or acts that are contrary to God's laws. Lawlessness or acts contrary to God's laws. And I'll give you an example, Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-three, where that's used. And and then will I profess unto them that I never knew you? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know the context of that chapter. I got to watch this. This is what we're. Uh, as preachers do sometimes. I'm trying to stay on course here and I want to preach every verse. But uh, the context of that chapter is pretty interesting. I know we use it all the time talking about unbelievers, unbelievers. You know the context of that chapter is actually to preachers, uh, false teachers out there. And But there's going to be a bunch out there that have taught that uh, that he's going to say I never knew you depart from me that, that work iniquity. And so another word iniquity, lawlessness, acts contrary to God's law. Certainly teaching. Um, uh, false doctrine would be that. How about trespass? Trespass, another word in the New Testament that has the idea of sin, refers to the deviation from what's right. And of course we understand Jesus said this, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father shall also forgive you. Unrighteousness, another great word for sin in the Bible, has to do with the actions against God's character and against God's will. Uh, so um, the Bible tells us Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And so, so again, another word for sin. And finally, ungodliness means impiety or, or deed or desire. And anytime we desire something that would be against God. And uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 12, talking about something the grace of God teaches. You know, you think about the grace of God, certainly we're saved by grace. Amen. But one of the other things, grace teaches us that, it schools us, it teaches us. And, and listen to what it's talking about Paul wrote, writes here to Titus in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, teaching us, talking about the grace of God that appeareth to all men right before this. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so, ungodliness, uh, uh, another word, an idea of, of sin there. Then finally, I included this one. Uh, I don't know if most doctrinal books will include this one but I think it's actually the biggest sin because it is the sin that will uh, result you going, going to a place called hell and that's unbelief, unbelief. a failure to trust God. Uh, Mark chapter 6 verse 6 said and he marveled because of their unbelief uh, you know I got to thinking about unbelief and over in Matthew the Bible tells us about unbelief in one spot that Jesus could not do many works because of their unbelief think about that for a minute an all-powerful there's some things in scripture i can't fully explain an all-powerful god is limited by unbelief think about that that'll that'll wrestle with your brain won't it (laughs) so man one of the that, that would certainly qualify in my opinion as a sin especially for those who who have heard the truth and so what was the effects of sin so what were you like before you were saved and hopefully everybody in here has had a moment, had a time where God showed them they were lost and they turned and put their trust in Christ and Christ alone. The fact that he died for them was buried, rose again, got born again by the grace of God. But, uh, but before that, before you did, let me give you some Bible conditions for what you were, the effects of sin, uh, of sin upon all who were uh, before they were born again. I didn't take that very good, but it, we were first, number one, we're this, we were spiritually blind, spiritually blind. Our, our spiritual understanding was marred by sin. Satan had, had kind of uh, shrouded the light of God from us. And listen to Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, In whom the God, little g, God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. In Ephesians 2.2, 2, the Bible says, Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, that the spirit of uh, that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And then John 12 verse 31, now the judgments of this world shall the prince of peace of this world be cast out. You start thinking about this. Listen, there is a spirit in this world and and we think about devil sometimes and I know we, we got that doctrine coming up in another another lesson someday, but we think about him as this little pitchfork and all this and and I'm telling you, he is one of the most beautiful things that ever happened. Uh, you know, we could get, we get deep into that, but here's what I want you to know. He's got power in this world and one of the things he can do in this world is blind you before you were lost you, this is what drives us crazy sometimes maybe you, you, you got a, somebody you witness to at work or a family member that you try to share the simple truth of the gospel with and they're not getting it you ever you got somebody like that I mean you just why don't you get this this is so simple you know, the Lord made it so simple a child could understand it and he certainly did well how many times, how long was it before you got it? Think about it. We're blinded. Satan, that's one of his roles. Hey, it's why the whole, one. Of the, remember we learned about the Holy Spirit. One of his jobs is to convict and to, to draw you into himself and to show you, hey, that's truth, that's truth, that's truth. And there's this fight going on. And, of course, you have to make the decision. What, which are you going to believe? And, and so, so it's, just, it's what you were. You were spiritually blind. I don't know how many times I've, I've read something that, Maybe I read before, and and the Holy Spirit just reveals it to me. Like, boy, I read that. I remember reading as a child. Why didn't I trust Christ then? Because I was spiritually blind, and and we we see some of that. And so we were also this. Not only were we spiritually blind, we were in sin. We were lost in sin. In fact, that's why Jesus came. He came to seek and save that which is lost, Luke 19.10. Think about that fact for a minute. The creator of the entire universe. We learned he was not only Jesus was God, but we also learned he was the creator God. Most of creation was under under his uh, umbrella and credited to the Son, uh, as we saw. Think about that. He created everything. Then came here to to rescue his creation. What a, what a God we serve. I like the I like the saying. Uh, simply, he left his place to come to this place, uh, to come to our place, to take our place so that we could go to his place. And uh, it's good things to think about. The creator of the universe did all that. And why? Because we were lost in sin. We were also separated from Christ. And uh, before we were accepted uh, Christ as our Savior, our sin separated us from God. And there was nothing we could do to, to merit that chasm or that gap that was there. And uh, If you look at the bottom of your page, there's like a little, there's a little drawing. You've probably seen something like that before. Picture two cliffs and, and we're separated from God. There's only one thing that could bridge that gap, and that was Jesus. And, and so many times you see the cra- the, the cross going across that, that cliff between those two. Because uh, Ephesians 4.18 tells us, having the understanding darkened, their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because the blindness of their heart. Again, they were blind. We were blind before then. We were lost in sin, separated from, from a, a thrice holy God. But thank God for Jesus. We'll see that in a moment. And, uh, and then we were also guilty before a just God. Guilty before a just God. You know, when you commit a crime, we live in a day, I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody commit a crime, uh, I want justice, don't you? I want... Especially some of these, you know, these, these crazy heinous crimes. Listen, you touch a lady or a kid, I want whatever the maximum penalty is. I'm, I'm a little more, I'm soft-hearted on some things, but I don't on those two things. And I, I just, I want justice. Anybody else like that? Uh, yeah. And God's got a justice. Think about this. He's a God of justice, and He is just. And we deserve. There's nothing that He has for us in His grace. We deserve to be eternally separated from Him. But that God of justice made a way for us. Uh, but justice will be served. We'll see that as we continue on. So, but God, again, requires a payment for our sins. Uh, but look at John chapter 3, verse 36. he, he says that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. So there will be justice paid. It was either paid in the form of, uh, of, of the, the, the wages that were put on his son on the cross on your behalf and my behalf, or you're going to pay it uh, by not believing on him because uh, so, he's a just God. And, uh, and so keep on looking what else we were as we continue. you got to keep going downhill, as Pastor said, right? You're on a downhill slope skiing fast to get through all this. <laughs> we were also spiritually dead in our sin. Do not know that? Spiritually dead in our sin, you know. We go back to creation, and we we learned a little bit about how God breathed into the nostrils of Adam the the very breath of life, and man became a living soul. It said, you know, I, we now are born with a dead spirit, in the sense of we're we're not spiritually alive. We're, we're we're dead already because of our sins and trespasses, and born spiritually dead, and we need to be made alive. So many times, and we'll see this when we get to salvation, but. So many times the Bible talks about those wonderful truths and way different words. We hear all these different words. We're going to see one here in a minute called quickened. But uh, over in the New Testament, Jesus calls it this way, being born again. So many times you hear all that. Why? why what's all this emphasis on birth and, and being born again and being quickened, which literally be, means to be made alive? Because the emphasis there is because we were spiritually dead. And we were spiritually dead in our sin. our sin separated us from God and and from everlasting life in heaven and but thank God, once we accepted Christ, we're no longer facing that. We became alive. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I love this. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That word quickened literally means made alive. The, the, you, you became alive spiritually when you trusted Christ as your Savior. So you went from spiritually dead to alive in Christ uh, at that point. And then we are also were this. This is... This is a tough one, but you can easily understand this. We were the servants of sin. The servants of sin. Before Jesus freed us by shedding his blood on that cross, and, and we were in spiritual bondage to our sins. Now, we still struggle with this a little bit, don't we? Uh, but you don't have to. We'll get to more, more of that and look deeper into Romans 6 a little later. I'm, I'm purposely hidden pretty quick because I want to sit down on a couple of spots. But uh, the thing about Romans 6, verse 17, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin were past tense talking about once you're saved but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you and then the final truth thinking about what we were before we were saved when we were lost in our sin what sin did to us we were heading for the lake of fire revelation not 20 verse 15 says whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in to the lake of fire and uh, I know we usually call that hell, but I'm talking even beyond that because the Bible says that even hell was delivered up and thrown into the lake of fire. So we're talking about our end state, final end state, uh, apart from God and apart from trusting in Christ, eternity, and that would be the lake of fire. And and that's where we were all hidden, without Christ. That's where we were because of sin and because of, uh, of those things. I read about a forest fire that was raging in a in a rural community and that thing was raging out of control and and the, the, the firefighters were dispatched to come and try to put out that fire put out that inferno if you would after hours of battling against this fire and uh an airplane flew over and the airplane could, could of course could see the whole picture where the, you know you're down in the middle of the fire you can't see the whole picture and 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 he fl- flies over and they they saw this little narrow path to get out now they got to figure out how they communicate it to the people that are stuck in the fire down on the ground. And so they decided, they, they, they put these weighted notes and dropped them down in there. And the notes said you're, you're surrounded and you're going to perish unless you take action immediately. And then told them there's one narrow corridor of escape. Told them how to get there. But before long it's going to be cut off. Think about what they did. They received a message from above. telling them something they could, they could not have known in the midst of the smoke and fire uh, that they were in. And thankfully, though, they didn't question everything about it. They, li- they trusted in the note, acted on it, and they became alive uh, because they, they were saved by getting out. You know, that's kind of a, a similar picture to what happened here. We were lost in our sins. We were blinded. We were, we were without Christ. We were on our way already to perish forever. And Christ sent us a love letter, yeah. told us how, the way, to, the way to make it out. and you know, It was a very narrow way if you think about it, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And the only chance of uh, for an unsaved man of escaping the eternal fires of hell is to accept that narrow message, that narrow way. And enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, the Bible says. And many that, that there be that go in. Enter the straight gate, that narrow way he was talking about. And so... So that's where we were heading. So now let's thank God for the last good news here. That's the bad news, right? That's what because of sin. But thank God now for His salvation, and that's the doctrine of salvation or soteriology, as the theologians love to call it. You ever notice how doctors and theologians and all of them love to use those big words? They just I think I think yeah they just well we got to make up this really long one so we sound really smart. And I think that's what they do. <laughs> Say, so when you see the doctrine of soteriology, it means how to be saved. Right? It's the doctrine of salvation. How about that? We'll make it a little, a, little, a little easier. You'll see why there's a big word for it, though, because being saved means a lot more than what we just think about. There was so much that happened because of Christ's substitutionary payment for us. So much more than we think about on the surface. And we'll hit some of that, Lord willing, as we go tonight. Uh, so, so simply because we're born sinners, we're condemned already. We've seen that. We were under God's judgment. And we'll stay there if we refuse, refuse to accept Jesus and His payment. Uh, none of our religious work will sort of take care of us. Listen, you can't tend church enough for good times, can't do enough good works, can't give enough good money. It's Jesus, 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 and Jesus only. Um, uh, but God, of course, displayed His love, sent Jesus to die on that cross for our sin and and we, if we put our trust in Him, we can be what this word means, saved. Uh, so let's look at what that really means. The word soteriology comes from the, the idea of sozo, or the word save does. Uh, it literally means to save is the idea. It has to do with the gracious work of God, whereby sinners are delivered from their sin that we just talked about, and the consequences that God uh, bestows upon him when he put upon that man that had all those bad conditions we just talked about, all those great benefits we get because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And so we're going to learn some of those. And so, again, it's a broad term. You talk about salvation, it's a really broad term, has a lot of tenets in it, a lot of truths in it. And so we're going to look at a few of those, Lord willing, as we go. And, uh, and we'll sit down in a couple spots. So uh, let's, let's, let's get going a little bit here. So salvation. Salvation can really be viewed in three tenses, uh, the theologians will tell you. And, of course, the one we think about the most is the, is the past tense. Uh, how many have been saved by the grace of God? Let me just testify that. You remember that day? Amen. Amen. I, I remember that day. Thank God. I was beside a race car at Eastside Speedway. And I started attending church and heard this, uh, heard this preacher several times explain the gospel. The times I attended church before that as a kid was a different type of church. and never heard one time that I need to be saved. I mean, they sprinkled water on my head and told me I was good. I was on my way to the devil's hell. Nobody ever told me I needed to trust Jesus. Nobody ever told me I was lost. All those things we just learned because of my sin. Thank God this preacher did. He was a fill-in preacher, but he was actually more of a teacher type. But he just explained it, and I understood it. Realized I was lost. About three weeks after listening to that simple message about how Christ died for me, was buried and rose again. If I turned and put my trust in him, he'd save me if I call upon his name. I suicide a race car because I'd become a praying man. Yeah, you know what I mean by praying man. Lord, keep me safe and help me win this race. That was my big prayer. I'd really made. Yeah, you know, I'd come a long way. And uh, that night, really interesting. I uh, sat, some getting the down with some race car, getting ready to get in and go out, uh, and line up for the race. And I don't know. I just felt overwhelmed. I just knew I need to get this settled now. I didn't know enough about what I was talking about. It wasn't theologically sound. I hadn't been to a doctrine, so the Bible class. So, but I, I knew this. I knew I was lost. I knew I was heading to hell. And I knew Jesus died for me. And rose again. I need to put my trust in him. So the best way I could, I, I started repenting of every sin. I remember I preacher I like, "Repenting of your sin. I thought that meant I had to list everything I ever did wrong in my life. <laughs> so I was trying I was really trying, I was, yeah. it was a long list of just what I could remember and much less the stuff I forgot. I didn't understand at the time, hey, I just repent of being a sinner, right? Uh, But I I was doing the best, and by faith I trusted in the Lord though right then. I prayed, I don't know how long I was there, but I will tell you this, and Jamie can attest to kind of how this worked down there. Uh, The cars had lined up and gone out on the track and were praying already. And I was still beside my car praying. Here's the problem. I was the points leader at the time. And I'm still over here. My crew's in the inside of the track. They're like, something's wrong with the car. And one of the guys, sent one of the guys, the young guys that could run, run back up there to k- try to find out what's going on. And he, he comes running back up. And he, I remember hearing him run up to the car. And he runs up there. And I get up. And I remember looking at him. He said, he said get in the car. What's wrong? Want not start? I said, no, I just got saved. And I looked at him just like that. He had no idea what I was talking about. But I was slow anyway. Yeah, I'm still slow, but I had to jump in that car quick. They were praying the track. Thankfully, the, the track owner actually waited on me to get out there. And I got out there lined up. And here's the best, here's the coolest news ever. The day I got saved, I won the race that night, too. Isn't that pretty cool? Now, I, I don't want to waste too much time here, but it's, it's a pretty cool testimony. And I haven't really given the full testimony here. That guy had a nickname, his nickname was Duck. I have no idea what his real name is to tell today. <laughs> I drove for another guy. I drove his car, and, and he worked for him. And but they called him Duck. All right. Uh, I guess it's probably six years ago, maybe seven years ago now. Uh, I don't know. But it was years after that event. I'm preaching a revival in, in town in Waynesboro, Shindle Heights Baptist Church, and I give an invitation, and some folks are coming forward, getting saved one of them is this guy walking down through there. Guess who it was? It was Duck. <laughs> still don't know his name. But anyway. <laughs> uh, but Praise the Lord. I still remember this. I walked up to him. They had one of their altar workers working. With and I walked over to him. And I said, Duck. He goes, yeah. I said, now you know what it means to be saved. He had no idea. He didn't remember that night for nothing. But anyway. <laughs> uh, so, but pretty cool stuff. But that's where we were. Thank God somebody showed me that, right? Because that was a one-time event. I'll get back to my lesson here. But we, that was a past time. And I look back on that past. And we think about it was a one-time event that happened. And I've been saved from the penalty of sin, as if you think about it, on that night. And thank God Jesus did that. But uh, Acts 16, verse 31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, past tense, in thy house. And Second uh, Timothy 2, 1, 9 says, Who has saved us and called us from a holy calling. Uh, uh, with the holy calling. And so we, we think about that past tense idea of it. But you know, it's a present tense way of it too. We were saved from the penalty of sin, but right now we are being saved from the power of sin. Right. It's still going on. Did y'all know that? You don't have to sin. Yeah. There's a big one, right? <laughs> I'll show you some of that uh, here in a little bit. I'm not saying we're going to ride, I'm not preaching sinless perfection. I'm just saying... If we will yield to the Spirit of God, we can say no to sin. The Bible teaches us that. And we're being saved from the the power of sin. Philippians 1.19 says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and supply. And so the the present tense of what he's doing. And and then there's a future tense to it. We're going to be saved one day. Thank God for that from the very presence of sin. How many of you are looking forward to that? (laughs) Uh, get out of this old, like, uh, like the old preachers like to say, get out of this old sin-cursed mud ball, get up there in the glory of heaven. And So, so kind of three-tenths of salvation there. And so, so when we talk about salvation, what does that really mean? Well, it means simply the forgiveness of sin. Let's look at some of that. Why is that needed? Well, uh, God's, God's a just God. We've already seen that. He's got a principle that executes judgment for it. And, and uh, a thrice holy God can't be around Sinful man, we, we can't go. We, we need the righteousness of Christ applied to us. And thank God he came and made the ultimate deal when he took our sins and bore it on his body on the tree and then gave to us his righteousness. Isn't that wonderful news? What a business, what a transaction that is to, to think about that. And, and uh, so, this thrice holy God says, nothing, talking about heaven, that nothing shall enter therein that defileth. And sin defiles. And so you can't go in on your own, but thank God with the righteousness of Christ applied to us because of what he did for us, we can go. Uh, and so why is it necessary? Well, God's principles make it necessary. And then, then above that, all have sinned. And we understand we stand guilty before God. We've covered most of that already. And, and a righteous God's going to give the verdict for that and, and so forth. So, so let's go on and talk about how it's possible for God to forgive us, though. How is it possible for God Who forgive us? Well, uh, God in love and mercy provided a way that we could be just and at the same time justified. We're going to look at some of these words in a little bit, and declared righteous. Listen to 1 Peter 3:18. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, there's that word again, made alive in the spirit. Uh, So this involved someone taking our place, suffering our condemnation for us, and that's exactly, of course, what the Lord Jesus did. Isaiah 53 tells us, but he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, uh, and with his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to, to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he took our place for us. And, and, and then it's also this, for for us to be righteous and forgiven of sin, someone had to be made sin for us, and have it reckoned on them. Again, that's why the Lord Jesus came in came in the flesh for us to do that very thing. First Peter two twenty four I quoted just a minute ago, but who his own self bare our sins and his body on a tree, that we being dead to sin should live into righteousness, by whose stripes you're healed. Second uh, Corinthians five nineteen I love that one, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Again, we'll look at some of these big words that you hear all the time. Us preachers say here in a moment, I'm trying to get our way to that. But uh, it also means this, for us to be declared not guilty, uh, someone had to take our place, someone had to make an offering that satisfied God's holiness as a payment for sin. And of course, we know that person was Jesus. Remember when Jesus first walked on the scene as he gets identified starts his public ministry what's the first thing John the Baptist said behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world and that's something the very first public pronouncement if you would of him like that as far as kicking off his ministry was that's him behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin it was all about him doing what he came to do to seek and save that which is lost to take our sins for us uh, the author of Hebrews put it this way in 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So, so God has a right to declare the ungodly uh, not guilty. And, and, to, and, and he can declare us and free sin's condemnation because of Christ. And so, but it's only because of Christ. We've justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. So let's go on to number three there on the list, and it was simply this, when and where does forgiveness of sin come about? When and where does that happen? That's always a, a good question. Some people some people like to add on to trusting in Christ. Uh, and you know, it's, well, I, I trusted in Christ, but then I need to do all this, like you had some list of works you had to do to stack up to, in order to make it. Hey, it's all Christ or it's not all Christ, and, you got to believe one or the other. I always say it this way: If it's Christ plus something, then why do we need Christ? If I need to do something to earn my way or merit my way to heaven, then, then guess what? Uh, Christ's sacrifice—what you're saying—wasn't enough. That's a dangerous place. It's a very dangerous place. Uh, that's almost blasphemy. It might even be <laughs> say, "No, Jesus, what you didn't do wasn't en- that, that wasn't enough. I got to do something too." That's a pretty prideful statement, isn't it? Uh, be careful with that. Be careful with that because there's lots of that out there. That's why it's important to know what we believe. Um, they won't say it like that, uh, but that's, the, that's in essence the teaching when they, they either think I can lose my salvation or I need to do something on top of trust in Christ to, to earn it in the first place. And so, so again, God's declared us, uh, he, can, he, he can declare us not guilty. He has the right to believe that, do that at any point when we put our trust in Christ. Uh, John 3.18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. How many of you are thankful for that one? But he that believeth not is again condemned already. How about Romans 8.1? I love this one. There is, now, this is always a tongue twister for me every time I try to quote it. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them uh, who are in Jesus and walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, the Bible tells us. Forgiveness of sins based upon simply the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Christ, that person can be forgiven. Listen to Romans 8, Romans 3, verse 24. The Bible says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Listen to all these big words. We're going to cover them. Through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be again both the just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. You say, that's a lot of words, preacher. It's A lot of doctrine there. How about this? Get that last part. Believeth in Jesus, you'll be all right on the rest, right? That's, that's the most important part. How about Revelation 1.5? says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Thankful for the blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, the Bible tells us. So because of his blood, we can be saved. And, and then, of course, we know all those outside of Christ are justly condemned uh, because they haven't had their sins forgiven. So what does the forgiveness of sin involve? Keep looking down through there. Uh, we've been bo- both forgiven of uh, the imputed sin or our inherited sin, whichever way you want to call that word, the, the, the sin nature that was passed from Adam. And we've been forgiven, thank God, for the sins we committed on top of that, both, both omitted and committed. And uh, so I'm thankful that His blood covers them all. Listen to Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To Him give all the prophets witness that through His name, whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sins. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have re- redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace. I love how the psalmist said it when it talks about our sin and when we were forgiven. This is important to get. Because when we were forgiven, the psalmist said, Listen, our, our iniquities have been uh, cast as far as the east is from the west. I, I'm sure you've heard this before, but uh, you know it's interesting he didn't say north to south. Uh, if you said the north to south, eventually if you go north far enough, you know what you end up hitting? Where Santa live, right? <laughs> At the north pole, right? You know my next step past the north pole? What direction am I heading now? South. south. There's an end to it. You know if I go east and keep going east and keep going east, I'm always going east. Think about that. As far as the east is from the west. Over, over and up. Like he said, as deep as the depths of the sea. I don't know. There's some areas of the sea that they still don't know how deep it is. Amen. That's deep, isn't it? Thank God for that. One old preacher used to say, I always like this. And he said, and he put up a no fishing sign there too. (laughs) Leave it down there where he put it. Amen. Hey, we're the ones that bring it back up. Let's be real honest. That's not the Lord. And let me just help you with this and try not to get real preachy here, but. Uh, when all that guilt comes up that he's forgiven you from, and I hear people say this a lot, I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Be careful there. Are you saying you're even better than God? You know better than God? God said, hey, my son paid for that. Forgiven. Who in the world are we to carry it around and not forgive ourselves? Be real careful with that. And thank God we're forgiven is, is what he's teaching us there. And so those in Christ, keep on going here. Get back to it. Those in Christ have been delivered from the dominion of the sin principle. Uh, so we're not only saved from all sins past, present. He's cast them as far as the east as the west, as deep as the depths of the seas. But we're again, remember, we're being saved or being delivered from the power of sin. We've talked about that just a little bit ago. Uh, we're going to look at this in, in just a moment. But uh uh, in fact, let's just do it now. Romans chapter 6. I don't know how if we're going to make it all or not, but let's look there. I want to show you three quick words in Romans chapter 6 that'll really help you get this. It's like its own multiple week lesson, but I'm just get three words here I'm talking about how, how we have the power to say no to sin. And there's three words, action words, if you would, in Romans 6, I want you to grab real quick. So, so flip there, if you got a second, and we'll, we'll look at those three words and we'll head on with the lesson, but they are no, reckon, and yield. Have you ever seen those in there? No, reckon, and yield. Ah, Read with me this. We'll pick up about verse number six. How about that? Romans six and verse number six. Knowing this, that our old man, which is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Henceforth, we should not serve sin. Back down to verse number nine. Knowing that Christ has Raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion on him. And so this is the idea. There's something we should know. We should know this as saved people. The context here is written to those who've trusted Christ. that have been saved, born again by the grace of God. And it's talking about the power of sin in our lives today. Hey, we've been forgiven again from the penalty of sin, but now it's the power of sin in our lives. And he's telling you, you need to know something. This is a head level knowledge. You need to know that you can say no to sin. Every time something pops up that makes you want to, you know, we got them, right? We all got those struggles. You have the power through the Holy Spirit of God to say no to that sin. You do not have to say yes. And God will enable you to say no if you yield to the Spirit. We'll, We'll, again, see that as we go. But that's the head level. Going down to verse number 11. Look at this. He says here, likewise, and then there's another word there. It says reckon. Likewise, reckon, ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That word reckoning, if you go study it out, it's it's literally kind of an accounting term. It means to count it as true. It means literally put it on the account. You don't reckon it onto an account until it's already there and happening. I like to think of it this way. This has gone from the head level now, knowing a fact. You know, I can know a lot of stuff. That's intellectual. When I reckon it, I'll start to believe it here. Start to believe it here. That's more of a heart level, if you want to look at it that way. How many of you believe prayer works? Y'all, we'd all say that, right? Sunday night crowd. How many believe prayer works for you? I know God can heal, them, but maybe I'm not going to pray it for me. Either, right? Sometimes, think about this. We believe prayer works. We say we do. But how come we don't share when we have a request? Do we really believe? I know it will for somebody else. I, I was guilty about that for a long time. I'm telling you what, I know God can do it. I'm going to watch him do it, and I'm going to believe he's going to do it for them. You need to believe it for yourself, too. So here's what it is. It's no, now it's reckoned. Believe it to be true for me. I can say no to that stubborn habit, that sins in my life. I believe it here. And then finally, the, the third word, this is the do. This is the, the volition or this is the action, and that's yield. Look what it says in verse 13. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. That's the do. Once I know it here, once I believe it, know it in my head, then I reckon it, believe it in my heart, and now I can yield to the Spirit's leading instead of to my flesh's leading. And I can say no and get victory over sin. Now He's given us a power over sin in our lives, and so then we're gonna win every time. No, because we're gonna we're gonna be hard headed and yield to the flesh some, right? But thank God the promise of Scriptures in Galatians five sixteen says that if you'll walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Isn't that cool? Done deal. You won't. Every time I do, every time I mess up, which is unfortunately more often than I like to agree, to, to to admit, but it's because my flesh won. I said no to the spirit, and I said yes to the flesh. But I have the power through Christ here, through through this idea of salvation that we're talking about tonight. I have the power every time to say no to sin, if I'll know it, if I'll reckon it, and if I'll yield. Let's keep on going. So it's not only right now, and I got to find out where we were and then scroll all around here. Uh, da, 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 da. There we go uh continue on i guess letter or number c whatever that is those in christ also have had their sins imputed or reckoned to christ his righteousness has been imputed upon them we've already kind of covered that he took our sin he took our sins and we got his righteousness what a wonderful truth and so so let's go look at some of these tenets i told you about all those key words those big words we were using all the way through and you hear us preachers use it all the time and uh Uh, Brother Heath will be up here, pastors will be up here preaching, and he's going to talk about redemption, and we're justified, and hey, we're sanctified, and and he's going to throw out all these words. You're like, doesn't that just mean you're saved? Kind of (laughs) does, but they each mean something a little different. And I want you to think about this. This is where you start to really, truly appreciate how much Christ did for us. When we understand it's, yeah, I'm just not saved from hell. And we are, thank God for that. Uh, but, but it was so much more that transpired, those doctrinal truths or tenets that transpired at salvation. Let's look at it, some of those key words. First one I want you to look at with me is just the idea of redemption. We've heard multiple verses already tonight that had that word in it, redemption. Redemption. And what does that mean? Well, Redemption is this. It's an act of God whereby on the basis of Jesus' ransom payment, he released the gospel believer, the one who put her trust in Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, from the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin, and he now brought us into bondage to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, So it's a ransom that's been paid, is the idea. A payment ransom. You know, the Bible tells us we were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which is his, it tells us. What was that price that he bought us with? He bought us off the slave market of sin, if you want to see that. Uh, Say it that way, yes. It was His blood. 1 Peter 1 verse 18, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation, received from the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. Ephesians 1 7, we read it a minute ago, but to whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of His grace. Redemption. We were bought back, if you would. The one who created us, Came back and bought us back. There's a great illustration on that. I don't have time for all these illustrations. I got in my head, but a great illustration of that of this little boy. I'll do it really quick. Built his hand little, built his little boat. I mean, he carved this thing out, and he couldn't wait to go watch that thing float. And, and he put all this time in, put a little sail on it, took it down the water, finally made it all out of wood, and put it out in the water, and I mean, it took off. It did its job. Wind caught that little sail, and that boat went sh- the boy lost his boat. He was gone. A few weeks later, he's, he's downtown. He's walking downtown with his parents. And he walks right by this window, this little shop. And right there in that little window, this little craft store, is his boat. And what in the world? He said, that's my boat. So he goes in and tells the store owner, He said, uh, that boat over here, I made that. That's my boat. And uh, the boy said, well, it, you know, somebody came in and I bought it from him and now I'm selling it again. And and uh, he said, so the only way you can have that boat back is you need to buy it. So he ran home and got the money and figured out how a way to earn the money, went back and bought it. And he grabbed that boat and he's walking out of there and he said, my boat, it's so good to have you again. I created you and now I bought you back. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He created us and then he brought us, that's the idea of redemption, uh, uh, you know, brought us back. And the payment, of course, was his blood. How about this one? You hear this one a lot. Propitiation. How many of you heard that word? Uh, we, we love these words, right? And Because they're good Bible words. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with the words, but I want you to understand when you hear it. Propitiation means this, that Christ's death was the satisfaction. It appeased or it satisfied the righteousness and the justice that God required for sin is kind of the idea. And so it's a satisfying of that divine justice. And it turned God's wrath away from the sinner. And and focuses it now on the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And I love 1 John 2, 2 for a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons. Uh, some we won't get into too deep tonight unless we're gonna go tulipin. But uh, <laughs> but the first one's this, and he is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. I may be thankful for that. Great term. Amen. He's the satisfaction. He appeased it. But not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Thank God. Everybody can get in. They have trust. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. How about the next one? Regeneration. Regeneration. Heard that one? You need to be regenerated, right? That's the act uh, of God whereby a sinner enters into a new life in uh, in which fear is no longer dead spiritually, which we've already talked about. We were quickened, right? Made alive but alive unto God. And they were regenerated is the idea. That's what we were when he made us alive. And uh, so it's the impartation of spiritual and eternal life to all those who believe. Uh, We might even call that being born again in other texts and so forth. And so thinking about that, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, the Bible says, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Hey, hey that regeneration made alive uh, and thank God for that. That's the idea of it. Uh, how about when Jesus in John 3, you know that where oh, verily, verily I say unto you, Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is the flesh and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. So marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And I believe that's just talking about personally the physical birth the first time. Man born of water, but second time you need to be born again spiritually. And that's when you trust Christ and get regenerated. That's the key word there. Uh, and then 1 Peter one twenty three: being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which abideth and liveth forever. So regeneration is the act, again, the impartation of spiritual and eternal life. It's that quickening we were talking about earlier. How about justification? Another big word. I'm justified, right? There's some good, good gospel songs uh with that in it great bible word uh so what does that mean uh it's simply this it's the act of god whereby he acquits acquits the gospel believer of the verdict of the condemnation declares him to be righteous we always say it this way justification is how many times you heard preachers say this just as if i had never what sinned amen wipes it clean wipes it slate uh the slate clean and that's all available. It all happens through uh, salvation, part of, that, part of that process. And many of the tenets that happen. Romans 4 verse 25 says this, Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Thank God he got up. Galatians 2.16, Know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Romans 3, 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. And so this redeemed, made alive, uh, born again is the, that concept. Uh, justified, made right, straight, as opposed to crooked. Uh, just as if, I never sinned. How about this one, reconciliation. Reconciliation. All these are good, good tenets or good... Thoughts or, or, or principles from the idea of being saved and re, re, reconciliation. That's the act of God whereby He does away with the hostility between the believer and Himself and establishes peace. Removes the enmity that was between us that exists between a sinner and God and makes it possible to fellowship with Him. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18. He uh, tells us, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto him, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. Romans 5.10 says, For if, when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of His son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And so that hostility was removed. We've been reconciled. You think about a relationship of any type. You know, when a relationship's broken, we use that word, we need to get reconciled. We need to reconcile the relationship. Our sin had, reconcil- or had broken a relationship with God, and we need to be reconciled. By the way, that, that has a sense also of fellowship after we're saved, too. That's what First John 1, 9 is all about uh, when he tells us to, that if we confess our sins, he's, he, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our, of our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's, a, that's written to a believer about getting back in fellowship. But here in this context, we're talking about salvation in the first place. That, that gap was taken. And then you got the idea of sanctification, of sanctification. And uh, sanctification's a separation unto God, if you would. Uh, an imputation of Christ as our holiness and and uh, and a purification from moral evil that's the theological definition I like to say it this: it's a sanctification is the act of God whereby he sets us apart from other sinners to be used for his glory how many of you think well he wants to use us so when we think about sanctification sometimes that one gets a uh, that I include it here it's also separate from salvation in a way but it's included here because the day I got saved, I got positionally sanctified. There's a process to sanctification, if you would. The first one is just positionally. It's that that's that's now for forevermore when I when I trust in Christ, moment of salvation. He 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 gives the believer a holy and righteous standing before God. Hebrews 10:10 10, 10 says, "By the which we are all sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all." When he write, wrote to the the church at Corinth, the very second verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 said, unto the church of God, which is in Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints. In other words, when you're saved, you've been positionally sanctified. I am, I am now when, when God looks at me, you know what he sees? The blood of Christ. He doesn't see old Mike anymore. He sees somebody who's perfect. Isn't that wonderful? Positionally. Now, That's a work of God. That happened because we trusted Christ. And and it happened, by the way, the moment we trusted Christ. That's why 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, thank God for that. Uh, Because in verse 10, it lists all these nasty things. All these nasty works of the flesh and sin and sin and sin, some of which was even things like... uh, Things like effeminate was in there. Things like uh, uh, you know, drunkards were in there. Things like that. But then he gets into verse number 11. He says, and such were some of you. You're washed. You're sanctified. And you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, it happened the moment we trusted him. Thank God I don't have to be that way. Because such were some of you. Because Christ came to free us from it. So that's, that's positionally. He doesn't see that anymore. But practically now we got a lot more work to do, right? But practical sanctification's ongoing, if you would. It's the aspect by which the, the process by which believers are set aside daily by the Holy Spirit as they yield control to his life. Remember Romans 6 we just we just read? No. Know, know that you have the power to say no to sin. Reckon. Believe it to be true about you, not just head knowledge, but belief level, heart level, and now yield. Yield to the Holy Spirit's leading instead of your flesh. That's practical sanctification. Think of it this way. Every time I say yes to the Holy Spirit and no to my flesh, I become a little bit more like Jesus. And every time, next time I got a confrontation on that, and I say yes to the Spirit's leading and no to my flesh, I become a little more like Jesus. That's the idea. Once we're saved positionally, God sees us. He sees the blood of Jesus. We're pure just like Jesus in his eyes positionally. Practically now, we're to grow in grace and knowledge. And the more we yield to the Spirit say, yes, the Spirit and know the flesh, the more we become like Jesus. Now, sometimes we can take good three or four good steps and then, I don't know about you, but then I sometimes, the flesh wins one, All right. Thank God he doesn't throw us out, amen? Get that right and get back on to growth. That's the process by which over the lifetime we should become more and more, we should be conformed into the image of Christ. And will we will we arrive? Huh. Not till he returns. Thank God, we won't be perfect until then. But we can, we ought to be more like him than we were yesterday. Take a moment, Ephesians. I got three minutes, so let's do this quick. Ephesians chapter number four. Flip there, real quick with me. Real practical thing to help you with. Ephesians chapter four. Look with me at verse number 22 or so. and We'll hit this really fast. But Just to give you a real world, real rubber meets the road idea of, of this idea of practical sanctification. So context first. Always, always important to get context. Who's he writing this to? You can go back and begin the letter and find out it's, it's, an, it's Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints, that's believers, which are in Ephesus. So he's writing to save people. Everybody with me there? All right, go to chapter 4 now, verse 22. He's telling saved people to put off the former conversation, lifestyle, if you would, of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I'd say yes to the spirit, yes to the spirit, no to the flesh. what he's saying. And that you put on the new man, which after God has created righteousness and holy. He's saying make your practice match your positions, what he's saying. And then he goes on and he tells saved people now, saved people, to put off some stuff. And then to replace it and put on better stuff, right? Look what he says. He says, put away lying in verse 25. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Put away lying, put on truth. This is the idea. Putting off, putting on. Putting off, putting on. Take off the dirty clothes. Put on some clean ones, right? Uh, He's telling saved people. Did you know saved people lie sometimes? He said they did. He said, quit it. (laughs) Become more like Christ. That's practical sanctification. As I put off the old and put on the new, again, I'm taking another step. Uh, I've already been saved from the penalty, but now now I'm working on being saved from the power of it. That's what's happening. Keep on going. Be angry and sin not. Let your sun go down upon your wrath. But Look at verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but get to work. That's what he's saying. (laughs) Let him labor. Uh, So put away stealing. Put away, taking things that are yours, taking advantage of the people. And listen, put on, getting to work. Uh, it goes on verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So, so stop speaking, speak that tears down people. And start speaking speech that, ta- that builds up people. That's what he's saying. That's part of us growing up. Part of, we sometimes struggle with that one, don't we? And grieve not Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Thank God for that. Then he gets to verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, and we don't have time to un- define all of them and unpackage all of them, but let all that bad stuff that we all deal with from time to time and evil speaking be put away from you, put it off is what he's saying. Throw it in the trash, take off those dirty clothes, and put on kindness, tender hardness, forgiveness for one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So here's the idea. Put it, all into, put it all into practice here. How do I become more like Christ? Once I'm saved, I'm already positionally there. It's me saying yes to the Spirit. Me putting on, putting off the bad, putting on the good. Know the flesh, put it off. Yes to the good, put it on. And I become more like Jesus. That's practical sanctification. That should happen from the time you get saved until the time we, He calls us home. And so uh, roll on. lastly is simply this, what I call ultimate sanctification. Thank God there's going to be a day when he is going to return in the clouds, amen, or if we die before then, well, we're still going that way. Uh, thank God the dead in Christ rise first, but there's going to be a day where we're going to be like him, and this is going to be, we're going to be ultimately saved from sin. First John three ten two says this, Beloved, now we are, we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. Thank God one day and we'll be ultimately perfect. But that's not going to be until he appears, and for we shall see as he sees, he goes on. And then finally, the last doctrine, simply, there was assurance of, of permanence of salvation, and uh, you you guys know that one. I hope you're in a Baptist church, but how many of you know? He did the saving; he does the keeping too. Uh, 1 Peter 2:5 says, "We're kept by the power of God through grace." Uh, we're kept by the power of God through faith into salvation, ready to be revealed the last time. Thank God, the day I got saved, we just read it a minute ago in Ephesians 4. He sealed me until the day of redemption. Or I like how Jesus put it. He said, I give them to eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, Jesus said. Then he went on to say, my father is greater than all and is greater than all and no man's able to pluck them out of my father's hands. I love that idea. Hey, I'm in two fistfuls of omnipotent God and I can't get myself out. We covered that in omnipotence lesson. Thank God. By the way, if I could somehow get out of that, I still got the Holy Spirit and dwell in me till the day of redemption. I'd have to get out too. Thank God. He saved me. He keeps me saved. And we have the assurance of salvation. And uh, as Jesus said, all that the Father, uh, all that the Father giveth shall come to me and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Thank God for that assurance. So we think about salvation and all that it is. It's way more than, hey, I got saved from hell. and Boy, a lot took place and we just scratched the surface there on where really took place. And I know this, it's enough for us to leave this place thankful. Thankful we got a God in heaven that loved us so much. He came here, willingly paid our sin debt for us, died on that cross, shed his blood, so that we put our trust in his payment, could be saved. And I'm thankful that he didn't stay dead. They put him in that tomb on the third day, he rose again. And my Bible still says that, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in that heart that God has raised him from the dead. That's the gospel message. Thou shalt be saved. Amen. If you've never been saved, can I encourage you to put your trust in him tonight. And let's pray. Father, we sure do thank you for just the, the great truths, Lord, of the Bible. And help us, Lord. We, I know we can't cover them all in this short of a format and, or do we even any one of these uh, extreme justice. But, Lord, help us to grab just some nuggets from this to maybe more appreciate what you did for us the sin you saved us from, and the salvation you freely gave us, and all that that entails. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for him raising from the dead. Thank you for the eternal promises we have from your word that are available to us because of what Jesus did. We love you tonight. and to Dismiss us now with your blessing, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.